Hey everyone, how's it going? Welcome to the Know Your Gear podcast episode 328. This is the show where I interview you guys, ask you guys what you want to talk about each week. Mazzetti? Probably Mazzetti. I'm going to go with that one. Says, my fractal FM3 sounds for better. Oh, far better. Not for. There's an A. (laughs) Says, sounds far better through my Runt 20 and a Vintage 30 than through my Line 6 Power Cab. Uh, leaving the amp and cab seems turned on on both ways surprised. I'm not surprised. Uh, so, you know, don't, don't, uh, you know, don't feel alone. My favorite thing is to run my Kemper through a 112 cabinet that is not one of those uh, FRFR cabinets. In fact, um, I've told this story before, so I, I'll say it again. Um, I got so many FRFR cabinets. I went down this big FRFR cabinets uh and for those of you who don't know, is that a lot of times when you have a modeling or a, um, it's a modeling or a, uh, what is the Kemper called? It's called something else. <laughs> I want to say cloning. It's not cloning, uh, you know, uh, profiling. So usually when you have a modeler or a profile or something like that, you got to run it through this flat response cabinet is what they tell you. And I, I didn't love it. It just didn't do it for me. And um, one day I just, um, you know, I'm, I profiled my, um, Friedman small box amp and I thought well why don't I just run it through my Friedman cabinet and I was actually have two Friedman identical cabinets I put the profiler on one and the Friedman uh, small box head on the other and I had them you know obviously one was the profile of the Friedman head and I ran them through and I thought the Friedman head the real deal sounded a little better and then I turned on the the speaker simulation stuff um turn it back on <laughs> right and the, it, the and it sounded fantastic and I've been that way ever since so um, I know it's against the grain. I'm sure every time there's a ton of people, especially it seems to anger people. People get weirdly angered by things. Well, <laughs> oh, this is not how you do it, Phil. You have to run it through the cabinet that was decided by the great flat frequency gods. Um, but I just had a great, uh, and I, so, you know, I just love it better that way. Uh, so it's just what it is. And um, no one's complained yet. No one's goes, no one said, man, that tone is horrible. <laughs> So maybe I just have good friends. They don't tell me I have bad tone. <laughs> There's your shirt. Every week we were talking about we should do a quote of the shirt week. That'll be this week's quote of the shirt. Um, I have good friends. They don't tell me I have bad tone. So, or maybe I have good friends and they don't tell me I have bad tone. So, um, so there you go. And then Matt says, what IRs are you using through the FR cabs? Well, it doesn't really matter, like Matt, because like I said, I was running identical stuff through the FR cabs and through the regular cabinets, and I just liked, I preferred them better. They see, they sound, you know, less polished. I don't know how to explain it. It feels more, you know, I just found the sound I want. So currently I run my uh, Kemper, which is a powered unit, through a Friedman 112 with a cream back, and it is my absolute favorite amplifier more than other all, all the other amplifiers. And I have some damn impressive amplifiers that um, I love dearly, but I play the camper a lot. So there you go. All right. Uh, and then let, like you guys have at it. <laughs> Fight it out. Fight it to the death. Kemper versus Axe FX, Axe FX versus Real Amps. Have at it. Uh, or just maybe just have fun and be nice to each other. Uh, the next one came from Hector. Hector says, Hey, like many, I bought COVID price guitars while trying to find my niche. Uh, now that I'm, now that I know what I'm looking for, I'm left with guitars that I have dropped in value. Should I sell at a loss or just add? Um, so the just add part, I'll, let me hold it off. So 
I think a lot of players like this, we all have seen the, the, the prices have dramatically lowered. Um, of course, not lo they're not lower for the most part than they were in 2019. Prices are still up over 2019. We're talking about used gear, right? Used gear prices are definitely up as uh, from 2019 prices, but they have come down dramatically. I'd say 20, 30% is, seems to be a good rate. Um, and I'm shooting from the hip on that one, but just, you know, looking at used gear, that seems to be what it's come down for uh, so far. And um, what I would tell you is, is exactly, like, I can only give you the, the, the advice I'm following myself. I have a guest room, it's got a closet and it's full of gear right now that of guitars that I'm not gonna sell right now. Now, if I needed to sell them, I would sell them not for the lower prices right now, but I would put the price I want for it, even if that's a little bit over market, and I would, I would wait it out. You know, you might find the right person over time, as long as you're being realistic, right? You're not going to get that premium price. That's not, that's just insane. But you could get, you know, whatever the spectrum of pricing is. Let's say a guitar is worth somewhere between 450 and 550 you might get to five you know what i mean so you can get in the middle or in the upper part of that middle or if the guitar has been selling on the high end right now maybe you could get the high end um but if you don't have to sell your gear i wouldn't um this is not the time unless you just want to cash out now keep in mind like i said i hate talking about gear like the stock market um because then what happens in a year from now it's worth even less than it is today you have to take that chance I, i'm i'm taking the chance that i like it i just don't need it right now so i was thinking about off putting offloading some gear but you know it's not worth the hassle right now plus i just find that the main place i like to sell is reverb and reverb is just getting worse <laughs> it's just getting worse i mean the scams are getting worse the sellers are getting worse the buyers are getting worse it's just all getting worse uh it's really interesting um how bad it's getting it's just getting really not great um, and I, I have to say, I feel like it's more on the, the buying than the selling. I've had more bu bad experiences buying something on Reverb in, in the last 12 months than I have had selling. So, so it's not that bad, but I just, I'm just not really loving it. I'm just not loving the experience. So I'm with that, basically where I'm telling you that is because with that, uh, that experience and the market, I'm not in the mood to offload some gear if I don't have to, um, so there you go. So there you go. unless anyone wants to DM me, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> Direct message me uh, and go, hey, what do you have and what do you want? I mean, I'd sell it that way, but no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't really care to um, to do it right now. So in that case, like I said, uh, Hector, I wouldn't. I wouldn't sell your gear if you don't have to. That's basically what uh, what my suggestion is. Okay, uh, Brent. Uh, Brent says, hey, Phil, Gibson has introduced like 18 new guitars over the past few weeks. Do you think they have too many offerings? What is the impact to the dealers? Thanks. You know, they're not the only ones to obviously. So, you know, you're going to see a smorgasbord of guitars and amps. Um, um, you know, I can always tell, as I've told you guys before, it's not hard to figure out. I'm a... Uh, uh, you know, YouTube channel is, very, is, in my opinion, this YouTube channel is pretty successful and anyway, we do a lot of content. I do a lot of content on it. Um, that being said, um, it's not hard to look at my channel and then 50 other channels that are like size or even smaller and see that they're putting out twice as many uh, new gear videos than I am because I'm just not being asked by those companies, which is fine, which is fine. Um, that's my point is, is that um, 
this. <laughs> when I see a lot of companies reach out to me to do videos, like I have a lot of, of videos queued up. In fact, I've been turning down companies. I think the last two uh, companies, we just had to turn them down because of workload. We can't, literally, I can't do it. I can't physically do it. Um, and um, and uh, so what I'm trying to tell you is there's a lot of stuff coming out. There's <laughs> a lot of stuff. In, in September, late September and October, you're going to see a lot of brands on, uh, dropping a lot of product. Now, why am I telling you that? It's because uh, Paul Reed Smith famously said that if you're not coming out with something new, you're dying. Right. Um, that's a quote that he said. I'm, I'm misquoting it probably, but that's the, 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 the context of it. And and what I think is going to think about this. When you had COVID, when the guitar boom was happening, you didn't have hardly any new product coming out because everybody was just like, hey, we can't get what we were selling. Let's just focus on that. Sales slowing down. When they slow down, the first thing you want to do is get excitement back. Right. Um, one thing I've talked about many times over is that one of the biggest expenses, just in general of business, but in guitar business, since it's a guitar channel, we'll talk guitar, is advertising. It is a very, very expensive thing because if you're not telling people about your product, if you're not sticking your product in their face, somebody else is and they will forget you, you know, um, that's just how it goes. You know, you think, oh, no, no, I would never forget Fender. I would never forget Gibson. Well, you don't forget them because their advertising budgets, I mean, Fender's advertising budget versus G&L's advertising budget. Let me put it this way. I don't know the numbers. If I was going to guess, Fender's advertising budget is probably half of the gross revenue of G&L guitars. That's pretty, I'll bet you I'm pretty close, right? So there's a reason why Fender's on your mind more than GNL. There's a reason why Gibson's on your mind more than Heritage. There's a reason why Paul Reed Smith is on your mind more than Nags. Okay. Um, it's just because again, they're, they're in front of you. They're putting it out there. So you're going to see as the market slows, as it's slowing, and as the sales drop, you're definitely the companies that have the ability to get their product in your face and especially new product that's exciting. Oh, you better buy. It's the new thing. It's shinier, right? It stays in tune slightly better. It's <laughs> comes with cool picks. I don't know, whatever it is, right? You're going to see a lot of products. So I'm not shocked. I think that's a good move from Gibson, right? Um, a perfect. I would, I mean, think about this. If I was uh, in a room with the people at Gibson and they asked me what I thought, I'd be like, you should come out with a bunch of new models because <laughs> that will get people excited. Get them talking. Whoa, it's almost like now we're talking about Gibson's new models on a show about guitars that tens of thousands of guitar players are going to watch this weekend. Hmm, I wonder how that worked out for Gibson. <laughs> so you see what I'm saying? So to answer your question, Brent, yeah, I think that's a good business. Now, the effect it has on dealers, it's tough on dealers. I, I started this conversation a year ago uh, saying that if I was in the dealer market still, if I was a dealer, I would be preparing for your adjustments. This is a, this is a tricky time for dealers. You know, um, when the market slows down, you get your dealers not only get inventory rich and cash poor because they got a lot of product. It's not moving like it was, but they also end up getting stuck with a lot of the wrong inventory. You know, um, I felt these pains for, for a long time when I was a dealer where, you know, everybody, this exact thing happened. The market slowed. I didn't buy a lot of the new product because I had a lot of the old products sitting on the wall. The customers would come in and go, hey, I'm looking for that, you know, looking for a Strat. I'm like, they're right there on the wall. There's 25 American Strats in a row. And they go, but do you have candy apple cinnamon? 
the new color. And I'm like, no, nah, I don't have the new color, but I will give you 20% off the old color. And they're like, I got to have the new color because it's candy apple cinnamon. <laughs> By the way, I don't think there's any kind of candy apple cinnamon color. So hopefully, hopefully Fender won't take that name. Maybe I'll, I'll keep that for something. Um, so yeah, the dealers, it, it does have a negative effect, although it could have a positive effect. Some dealers, if they're positioned correctly and they don't have, are not loaded up with tons of the wrong old inventory, then yeah, they can order in the new inventory and they'll get people in the doors. It does work. It works to me, to me, in my experience, even in a, even like I said, I had a guitar store in one of the biggest recessions in history after, of course, the Great Depression, you know, one of the biggest, well, it's the biggest recession in my, in my lifetime. Um, I had a business in the middle of that. <laughs> so um, what I would tell you is I can tell you exactly what was working and not working. Um, discounting, even in a recession, didn't work as much as exciting new product. Because the reality is, in a, in a, in a slowing market, I hate to say it, it's just a part of the reality of life. Some people are loaded and ready for it, and some people are not. You know, that's how recessions work. They can catch people off guard, or they can catch you, you know, and you're fine. So what I mean by that is some people do have money, you know. Um, think about this. In that recession, that was a housing recession. So I had tons and tons of customers that were in construction. Screwed. No job. Nothing, right? Uh, tons of friends that were in real estate and lending and loans. Screwed. Um, but my friends in the medical field, they were fine. They weren't laying off nurses and doctors, <laughs> right? They were working. So they had the money. They had um, disposable income. They were a little nervous to spend it because, you know, it's doom and gloom every night on the news. But they could come in. And so when they would come to the store, although you could discount and get somebody to buy, I found in those cases that new color, that new model, that new thing would get them excited. And uh, especially in a market like that because, you know, it just get, it makes them feel really good that they can get something new and exciting. So I think it's smart. I think it's what you got to do. Um, I uh, I can tell you right now, I'm I'm not supposed to obviously tell you what's coming, right? Um, and that's what sucks. When company, the best part about companies that don't work with the channel is, I know everything. I find out everything like you guys. So I'll share whatever the companies that don't work with me coming out. Like Music Man's got new colors next month, and. Uh, <laughs> there's some some new amps uh, coming from uh, a really cool company that I'm excited about. Um, Paul Reed Smith's going to have some new exciting stuff. Um, at least I think it's new exciting next month. I mean, there's new new stuff coming out. So, you know, um, so get ready for it. <laughs> if you don't if you don't have the scratch to spend on it, I understand that. Uh, you know, if you're like me, I just like seeing the new stuff. You know, I I think um, when I look back. And my entire life being into this is as much as I've been into it. I don't think I've ever found a better joy with gear, right? Buying gear. There's no gear purchase that I've ever felt that was more exciting or had that endorphin hit that was much higher than when I would see the new newest gear just come out through a magazine or at the NAMM show or now on a YouTube video. Um, I don't know why. It just gets me excited to see something new and cool. And I go, oh, what is that? And then after that first dopamine hit hits, um, I go, oh, yeah, I don't need that. But it's cool. <laughs> and I kind of like that, you know. Um, I don't want to buy everything. So like I said, it's just cool if new stuff comes out. So um, Brent, new stuff is good. There's the highlights and low lights. Low lights. There you go. Uh, Kev wants to know, was the Les Paul that I used in the, uh, this week I did the Evertune Les Paul video. Um, one of the hardest videos I've ever done. 
so you guys know. Um, because, <laughs> because this doesn't happen very often. So what happened with that video, as you guys know, is that I worked with Evertune and got them, because I was like, I need a, I need a guitar that speaks. I need a situation that makes sense, right? Um, with Evertune, I, my biggest concern with Evertune is I would go and watch tons of videos, and I thought the best videos on Evertune, in my opinion, were Ole England's by far. So if you really into Evertune, you should watch his videos, um, him him breaking down the stuff. Um, but everybody who plays in Evertune is like a, a gent guy. It's all metal, and that's great. I'm into metal, and I like gent. I like all this stuff, but... I was like, yeah, but I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. That's already been done. There's just tons and tons and tons of videos explaining why that works. And so when I talked to Evertune, I said, we got to do a telly. We got to do a Les Paul. We got to do something different. It's got to be a, a not a gent thing, a not a, a metal thing, because I want to talk about it on a practical sense, because it's a really interesting practical idea. You know, um, somebody, people said it doesn't solve a problem that they don't have, or it solves a problem they don't have. Sure. That's, that's what's great about that product. If it doesn't work for you, it doesn't mean anything to you. But if somebody out there, because I repaired enough guitars and spoke to enough people, somebody out there is losing their mind because they can't get the intonation right all the time on a guitar, this will solve that for you. Let me tell you, the intonation is just on. But what's great about it is I did the video. The problem, the reason it made the video hard wasn't because the bridge system is hard. It's actually very easy. I had to, um, to do Evertune, they, they gave me a requirement for the video that I've never agreed to before, but to be honest with you, I kind of needed it, so I asked, I said I agreed. When they sent the guitar, because the guitar, uh, so I'm going to get to your question, Kevin, just want to let you know. The guitar is not here, Kevin, so to, to get to Kevin's question, which I'm kind of going around, is he asked me if it was a Studio Plus from Sweetwater Exclusive. I have no idea, I didn't pay attention to that. Um, they sent the guitar, I used it for the video, and it was uh, sent right back to them. Okay, so it was just specifically for the video. In fact, it's probably going to be for sale on their website, or maybe they use it for a demo, I don't know. But my um, point was they asked to inspect the video before I put it out. Now, I want to be clear. It isn't like, oh, we want to make sure we got a good review. No, it had nothing to do with that. They wanted to make sure everything I said was accurate. They were really concerned that I would say things. So why was it difficult? It's a real, it's a, it's a fun thing to get a new piece of gear and learn it and then share it and teach people about it. It's a little bit less fun, not bad, a little bit, a little more nervous when you got to send it to somebody and like it's a test and get it approved. And I did pretty good. I think I got most of it. They came back with like one or two things that they didn't tell me to adjust, but they were like, just so you know, like, I think I originally had the, if you were a patron, or I remember you saw the first draft. I think I said the bridge is one pound. And then they explained that technically I'm right, but you remove about a half pound out of the, of wood out of the guitar. So the bridge is overall about, you know, eight, nine ounces. So I, I did a correction in the video. So, and then there was a couple of the corrections uh, from some suggestions from, from patrons where they were confused by some things. So those kind of videos are very fun still, but a little bit more intense for me personally, because, you know, it's like, it's like getting my videos graded, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I'm always nervous because, you know, a lot of companies like these companies have a lot of ad copy, you know, in other words, they have all these ways to explain their product. But I find a lot of that to be, 
you know, just bold and, you know, right. They just like kind of like just to show how great they are, but also some of it's confusing and I didn't want to use that jargon. So I used a lot of my own jargon and I know a lot of times companies are like, well, what you said is technically right. And it sure explained it, but we like to think of it as, and I didn't get any of that from them. So on the end result, Evertune was amazing to work with, uh, especially since I ended up taking the guitar, keeping the guitar for about twice as long as I said, I was going to end up having it. Um, just because I really wanted to really know that guitar before I could speak on it with any kind of authority. You know, it's one of the things I don't consider this channel to be an authority channel of information. I kind of, it's, a, it's like a lot of channels I'm discovering stuff and sharing it, but I know a lot of people because of the know your gear, like, Oh, he's going to know it. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, great. So, uh, so sadly enough, Kev, that's my explanation about the video. Sadly, I don't know what that guitar is. Uh, if you think it's a studio plus from Sweetwater exclusive, it might be, I don't know where they got the guitar from. So, I just know they sent it. <laughs> so there you go. Um, Jay Marble says, hey, Phil, any recommendations for a 15 watt tube amp? I saw a video on the Supro. Okay, so uh, they saw my video on the Supro. If you saw that video on the Supro, they just announced what I was talking about. That Supro now, uh, the amulet, now comes in a 112 version. You can get a 112 inch speaker or a 110 inch speaker. So very cool. Um, he says, have you reviewed the EVH Iconic? I have played the Iconic. Uh, I love the iconic. Loved is probably a little extreme. I liked it a lot. <laughs> Kid, I don't want to be like, it was great. Obviously, I didn't buy it, so I didn't love it enough to buy it, but I liked it a whole lot. And um, I currently have a 5150-3, right? Whatever the EVH 5150. I currently have a 5150-112 combo. Uh, Ralph's had it for months at his house. So I say I have it, but I mean, I own one and it's at Ralph's house. And I have a 6505 mini head from PV. And I don't like the Iconic as much as I like the 5150 uh, combo, the 112. I like the clean on the on the um, Iconic more because the clean on the um, 5150 combo is not as good as the head, in my opinion, because it breaks up too fast for me, um, where the head doesn't break up almost at all. And... But I love having reverb, which is why I got the PV, and I don't like the PV nearly as much as the Iconic. So to answer your question, uh, what's my recommendation? Hey, look, if you're if you're into the uh, the Iconic amp, if you think you like it, there was nothing about it that I was like, oh, this isn't great. It's got a lot of gain, but it gets a lot of different tones. I like all the EBH products. The only only negative about them is. Um, I even, uh, I watched an interview with Dave Freeman once that said Eddie got obsessed with gain, like more and more. It wasn't like he was talking about Eddie specifically, but it was a, you know, communication of information. And he made you that comment that Eddie became obsessed with more and more gain, which makes sense. Cause if you look at the 5150 heads, it just got like crazier and crazier by the time they got to the stealth. Um, the, the iconic is the same thing as EVH. I think some of the best amps out there, I think any professional or non-professional musician could use them and get any amazing tone they want out of them. The only complaint I ever hear that I think is correct or cor not correct but i i can understand is they're really gainy right they have a little bit of you know the beast you know busyness bzz, sound to them but i can mostly get that out of there you know i mean just dial it in a little bit so i would go with it so okay uh doo -doo -doo -doo. Bernard, he says, I got a Guild OM240CE, which is an excellent uh, bang for the buck, but I'd like some more volume. Thoughts on drilling uh, sound port on the side? Um, 
I don't know if that would work. I mean, look, I've played a lot of guitars with the sound port, so he's talking about cutting a hole on the top of the guitar, making a sound hole that goes up towards you. Um, I don't think it would make it louder. I mean, obviously, you would get... Here's what I've experienced, because I've actually played a ton of those guitars, the Gibson ones, a bunch of others that had the port up top. What I notice is not loud. It's frequency. There's more high-end frequency coming out of the hole, right? Um, because when you are when you have the acoustic, you're getting the... In fact, I've even it's an old trick. If you, you know, anybody who's worked in a music store knows this, that if you're going to buy an acoustic guitar, you personally, one of the things you should do, not 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 electric guitar, don't worry about that, but acoustic guitar for sure, one of the things you should do is have someone play it for you. Now, not entirely. Play it yourself. Make sure you like it. But before you make the purchase, if you have a friend, have them do it. If you can't, get the store clerk or somebody to do it. Have them play it for you and listen to it. Um, because you don't hear the acoustic the same way the people in front of the acoustic hear it. A lot of times, it's minus a little highs. And and here's what gets tough about acoustics for me, especially affordable ones, is sometimes this, the acoustics that sound great to you, acoustic, now we're not talking about plugged in, we're talking about acoustic, sitting there, they're horrible for people in front of you because by the time the acoustic's giving enough high-end frequency to, to balance out that low-end kind of frequency that you get from being you know, but basically behind it and having your ears right above it. Um, it's just too jangly and bright and thin for the audience. So uh, if you cut a hole in your guitar, I think you'd get more high frequency. That's what I think was going to happen. You'll get more mids, highs. It'll sound a little brighter. That you might translate that to in your mind to volume, but I don't think physically it's going to give you physically more volume. I don't think that if you had a way of putting a decibel meter on it or anything, I don't know if it would reson, you know, uh, register anything worth, you know, worth uh, the the effort you're doing. Um, the only way I know acoustic guitars are tough, right? Um, one thing you can do to get them louder is change the strings. You can change them to a thicker gauge strings or even different materials, whether you want to use phosphor bronze or an 80-20 blend. Uh, uh, you can phosphor 820, you know, different strings, they will get the guitar to get a little bit more volume. Obviously, the more vibration, the more volume. And so if you can go up a gauge of strings, like if you're playing 12s, I mean, going to 13s is tough on acoustic. I don't recommend it. A lot of guitar manufacturers, so you know, um, not a whole lot, but a lot of them actually have stipulations that say that you'll avoid your warranty if you put 13s on there. Um, it's not that bad anymore. I will tell you that if you're going to do 13s, laminate top guitars, you know, the cheaper are the better because it's just, you know, there's all that glue and stuff's going to be really strong and it's not going to be a problem. But sometimes really thin, solid top acoustics, really delicate ones, 13s are a little problematic. So you want to make sure. And um, for anybody who's going to comment, I'm just going to tell you because um, uh, some people are going to be like, no, look. You can do whatever you want. I'm just giving you some of the things that I've had to deal with in the past, whether we're dealing with warranty or repair. Those are things I've dealt with. I'm not saying that's every case. I'm just saying it's a possibility of a case. So always be cautious with 13s uh, and make sure you know exactly what you're, you know, you're up up against. Um, but there you go. The next question. What do we have? Uh, Okay, Jared. Jared says, "Hey, just bought a Gibson a Gibson Hummingbird original from musician's friend." Okay, I had to adjust the neck relief and shave a bit off the saddle. All the frets are level, but the last five are lower. Is that normal? That is not normal. Level frets uh, is level frets. All the frets should be the same height, so it's not 
normal that the last five are lower. In fact, there could be it could be that they're not lower. So if you have a Stumac caliper, um, a luthier caliper, like what I use in a lot of times in the videos, you have a way to measure fret height, okay? Um, you can also do it with a ruler, right? You wanna measure, here's what I'm gonna tell you to do. Measure, I don't care which one of those five frets, just pick one and measure it, and then measure another fret randomly on the fretboard. Measure the height of the fret, not the fret rocker, right? Like, no, don't notice it, like physically measure it, and not against each other, right? Just equally measure them, right? So to, for, for, let's say one fret is one and a half millimeters, and the other fret is one and a half millimeters. That's what I want to know. I want to know that the last five frets are actually the same thickness as the rest of the frets. If they are the same thickness, what's happened is the uh, piece of wood that at, right at the end of the fretboard, the body has it's sunk in, okay? And sometimes if you tilt the guitar sideways and look at it, you'll see right at the end of the acoustic, it's just kind of sunk in, right? Because there's different pieces of wood and they're shrinking at different rates because they're different types of woods, different thicknesses, and sometimes it just kind of sinks, okay? So what looks like the frets might be lower is literally the fretboard's like kind of angled down because it's sunk in a little bit. Um, that, that, well, whether it's low frets and they actually have been filed and planed down or it's that issue, it's really uh, not a inexpensive fix, especially on a nice acoustic like that. So I guess what I would tell you is, is it's not normal. You, concern is a weird thing to say. If it doesn't bother you, then it's, it's not a concern, right? Will it affect the resale? Yeah, because somebody might see that and go, what's going on here? And you're going to go, hey, well, Phil McKnight talked about in his video. Watch that clip. That's not going to really help sell your guitar. So um, my question to you would be, if that's the issue with guitar, if I'm right on those issues, it's one of those two issues, um, I would definitely look at doing two things. Seeing if you could get some kind of discount from Musician's Friend for the guitar. you know, And you could take it to your local tech if that needs to you know, uh, kind of firm that up and have them reimburse you some kind of compensation for it. Whatever that is, that makes sense for you, right? It could be 50 bucks, it could be 20% off. I don't know what it is. It's whatever makes you get to the point where you're the place where you're like, I'm happy again. That's, I mean, that's the whole point. You're a customer, you should be happy. Um, and if that's not what interests you, then send it back, okay? They'll make another one. <laughs> I, ha I hear this a lot. They're like, yeah, but it's the only one in stock. They'll make another one. <laughs> They, they won't stop making guitars. Everybody's making guitars. It's never going to stop. They've been making more guitars than people can buy for as long as I can remember. It's why, and it's why other than in the one moment of COVID, I have never seen a market where it's been the seller's market. It's always been the buyer's market until COVID. And then technically it was all the seller's market for a while. So I had nothing to do with guitar. So there you go. Okay, so I have some of the, the moderators sending me stuff. Uh, Amanda sent me. Casey Brown says, hey, Phil, I own an Epiphone Prophecy along with two of my friends. I think he means his, uh, or I think Casey means two of, two of their friends have prophecies. <laughs> I don't think they own. Anyways, okay, uh, so it says Epiphone Prophecy along with two of my friends. Owning them as well, when we change the strings nut isn't secured or glued down on all three guitars. Is there a reason why? Um, yeah, it doesn't have to be. 
it's not normal to see that in a, in a manufactured guitar like uh, an Epiphone. You usually see them uh, using some kind of, like they'll, like I said, Titebon, uh, Elmer's glue, right? Titebon glue or a dot or two dot of, uh, of super glue, right? That's usually the two glues I see the most to glue down a nut. Remember, the whole point of gluing down the nut is so it doesn't fall off when you change strings. That's the only reason you're doing it. So you only want enough adhesive on it to do just that just to keep it down and and centered. Um, but does it matter? No, but if it's like, if you want, I would just, you could use Elmer's um, white glue, like, you know, from elementary school, if you have that in the house, I'd take the nut off, put your finger in the glue, hit two little dots, stick it on there, that'll hold it on. That's all you want, just something to hold it on. The only reason I tell you that is um, to, to, um, to, uh, the only reason I tell you that to, to make sure that it doesn't fall. One of the reasons why it is a concern that the nut does fall is it could fall, hit something accidentally and crack, you know, and that would not be ideal. Right. So that's the reason why you want to glue it down. The only thing I caution you is super glue. Uh, there are tons of luthiers. In fact, half the, the builders I've, I've interacted with use super glue. They use two microscopic little dots, um, always. But I'm always a little cautious with like, you know, regular people <laughs> doing it because people just seem to slather things like crazy, right? It's like, it's like you don't you don't want to put glue on a nut like they put mayonnaise on your sandwich at Subway, right? Like that's a bad, that's a bad, you know. <laughs> I'm sorry, just laugh. I always picture that in my head at Subway. It's like, it's like that's the worst, right? Just a little bit of mayonnaise, and they're like and they always do it right in front of you. And you're like, is there something? Did I, did I do something? <laughs> so anyways, yeah, just like I said, super glue is, is not your friend if you put too much because it's, you could have to actually may have to dribble out that whole piece. There can be all kinds of bad things. So if you could just stick with some water based glues, I would recommend that. Super, super easy. So uh, skeptic says, what is that tiny amp behind you? That is a Fishman loud box. That is my absolute favorite acoustic amp. Um, by far, it's the least expensive model. I don't know the model name. Let me look because now I feel like, you know, hey, we have the internet. We have a minute. I can just tell you. I absolutely love that amp. There's a reason why it's always sitting there. That's the amp I'm using like all the time. So I have this amp right here. It is the Fishman Loudbox Mini BT60. Um, for $399 at the Sweetwater, it is absolutely amazing. You could totally, it's to me, it's the perfect acoustic amp for in your bedroom. It is not super loud, has reverb and chorus. You can plug a microphone in it and an acoustic guitar, just two acoustic guitars or one acoustic guitar. But more importantly, um, it's definitely loud enough to gig with at a small coffee shop or a gig. I absolutely love it. Absolutely. And I have used it in video, so you know. Um, I think it's in my last Orangewood acoustic video. It will be in another video, acoustic video coming up soon. It'll be in that. It's what I use um, in those videos. I, I sometimes will mic it, and then sometimes I run a line out into the uh, to the computer because it has a line out in the back. Absolutely love that amp. Can't say enough things about it. Um, love it. Love it. I've tried so many acoustic amps. I, as you guys know, I've had expensive ones. I've done reviews of ones that were like $1,700. They're great, but for some reason, this one. And even the Fender ones, I think, are good and really inexpensive. But this one, 
just something about it. I just love it. So, uh, Midnight November says, do you need an acoustic amp to play in the bedroom? You do if you use a loop or I use a looping pedal. Uh, to me, the whole point of an acoustic is to sketch out ideas. Um, I love acoustics. Like I, I say this all the time. I, I kind of goof off with an electric guitar, like a lot of a lot of players, right? I'm not in a band right now, so there's no reason. You know, I play bass. If I'm in a, if I'm playing music somewhere, I'm playing bass. I mean, if you guys have seen me play with Dolby Doss or Phil X or somebody on the internet, or uh, most of the time you've seen it, I've been the bass player. I'm usually not the guitar player. Um, so to me, it's like I, I go, if I'm going out to play music, it's bass. If I'm making YouTube content, it's guitar and, of course, you know, electric guitar and stuff. And, of course, if I'm playing electric guitar, I'm plugged in amps and I record a little bit, but, I, you know, I'm kind of just playing. But acoustic guitar, it's all business for me. As soon as I plug in the acoustic, it's like I just want to write music. I just want to, like I said, it just becomes this thing I want. Um, it, it's immediately, <laughs> it, it's like, it's adulting for guitar. <laughs> right it's just like all of a sudden i'm like i'm making music i'm doing things i'm being creative i'm and i'm layering and i just love having a looper with an acoustic um i have a video that was one of my first like, i don't want to say viral but bigger videos that came out and it was like uh how to play guitar if you don't have friends and uh i remember i remember when i came up with that title because i remember thinking uh the first time i had got a looping pedal and i was started using a looper with acoustic I remember having so much fun. I, w I looked up. I remember. I, I just remember it so vividly. I remember looking up like four hours later. I'd been playing guitar straight for four hours. Didn't even notice. Went through just nothing. And I remember going, why don't I do this? And then I remember making myself laugh going, yeah, it's because I don't have any friends that come over and play acoustic with me. <laughs> so, so when I did the video, I, I thought of that vivid memory. And I go, oh, I got to put how to play guitar if you don't have friends. You get a looping pedal. So that's why I have the amp in the room. And that's why it's important that it's not super loud. I just need the amp to be loud enough. Um, when I play my acoustic through the amp, it's not any louder than I would play a regular electric guitar amp. So it's just loud enough to, it's actually just loud enough to be a second acoustic, right? So remember I was talking about earlier about how if you're buying an acoustic, have somebody play it to you. That's kind of what the amp sounds like. It sounds like another acoustic player in the room playing at me. I'm at the same volume and it's at the same volume. And, and so when I loop, I can play and it, it works out great. So, okay. <laughs> Bud says, Phil calls this looper pedal Ralph. I've never thought about naming my looper pedal. I kind of feel like, yeah, now I feel like I should, right? So, okay. So, let's go to another subject in question. What do we got? We have another one. Oh, man, sometimes I'm just breaking this thing. Go back here. We, why is it all wacky now? Okay, this is from Joseph, Joseph who says, "Hey Phil, I recently put an Eminence GASC59 in my Blues Junior. It barely fit. Uh, would that be bad for the speaker or the tubes for the magnet to be too close to stuff? Uh, might might reverse the baffle?" Question mark. Um, the only concern that I've ever seen, again, I'm not an amp guy, so always keep in mind, everything I tell you from my amp stuff is just from my experiences over life. It's not like a, you know, it's like, a, not like I'm, uh, you know, an amp repair person or a built an amp. I'm, I mean, I, I know, I mean, I built a one amp in a class kind of thing, but um, my point is 
Uh, here's what I do know. The only real concern about having a big magnet on an amp when you put it in there and it's real close to everything is it could get, you could note it gets noisy. The, the, the speaker magnet gets too close to the transformer or the tubes and it can get noise off of that. I had that happen with a, um, uh, a Ampeg jet amp, right? It was a 112, 12 watt little amp, beautiful amp. And it had a cheap Ampeg speaker in it. I just wasn't digging it. I pulled it out and I thought, oh, I'll put a new speaker in it. And I put the new speaker in it and same thing. The magnet was too big. And so I tried it and I could hear the hum. It was real faint, but I could hear the hum coming from having that big magnet. So I actually went to a Creamback neodymium speaker magnet through in there because it's super small and the problem solved itself. So that's the only concern I know of. I don't know of any concerns with the magnet, like, you know, doing anything wrong to the tubes or anything. But, you know, again, I would consult like a more of an authority. I'm just giving you some, some, that'll get you, that gets you down the road a little bit until you can find somebody can help you specifically like an amp repair guy to tell you if it's a serious problem or not. Um, SVT says, will a cheap 60 watt soldering iron work well for pots and pickups? Or do you recommend spending more for a brand name, uh, 120 watt station? Look, any soldering iron will work. Uh, you know, I, I've told you guys this before, the skill will always, always uh, surpass or be more important than the tools. So um, I could argue, somebody's going to say, because everybody's going to say stuff, right, in our comments, but let me give you the argument. Somebody's going to say, don't buy a crappy soldering iron because uh, you'll get cold solder joints and it'll just be a whole, and I, here's what I will tell you. I, I could take a, one of you guys who are not skilled at soldering, give you the nicest soldering iron out there and you give me the cheapest one you get. <laughs> at the $5 below store and I'll bet you I'll produce better work than you because it's just, you know, I'm, I'm not, and I won't love using that soldering iron and it's a problematic problem because it's not that great, but I, I can make it work. I've made it work, you know, right? It, it's, it's happened. So that being said, here's what I will tell you. Um, so instead of guessing, and, and this is where sometimes, um, let me just tell you to keep things easy. This is my absolute favorite. These are my absolute two favorite soldering irons. You can get them on Amazon, okay? Um, in fact, when I timestamp this, I'll put an Amazon link because then if you click it, I get like 1%. <laughs> but it's, hey, it's something. But here's what it is. Let me click to the page. These are the two wellers I absolutely recommend. I, I love and recommend the Weller Digital Soldering Station. This one right here for $112. Um, I believe that includes shipping, but not tax. If you're in the U.S., it is comes complete. It's everything you need. Uh, the tip on this thing could last you years and years and years. So don't even have to worry about buying extra tips. Um, if that's a little out of your price range, I would then recommend this 40 watt for $64. Um, and it's absolutely fine. I really, really love this. I know it's double the price almost, but I really love the Weller Digital Soldering Station. That being said, if $60, because I get it, it's not about, and and just, just I'm going to give you my guess, which sometimes when people are asking me this, it's not, you don't have $60. I get it. It's hard. It's like, I I, did, I told you guys this once, I, I once had to cut tile. You know, it's like, I don't want to buy an expensive tile cutter for the one time I'm going to buy, you know, do tile. So I can either rent a tile or I could buy a cutter or I can buy a cheap one at Harbor Freight for the one-time use. So if you're probably going to use a soldering uh, station or a soldering iron once <laughs> in the next year or two years, I get why 60 bucks kind of sucks to tie up to throw something in the closet. But uh, let me 
let me just tell you two things. You won't regret buying a soldering iron. It, I promise. It is a tool that is, it will say, it. trust me, has especially for a guitar player, it will come up over and over again. And either one of those soldering stations will last you for life. But absolutely, the $120 one is the best. Um, if that's still at your price range, the $60 one, and you have to go with like one of these $12, $15 ones, I, I just told you. It will absolutely work. You can make it work. I just don't like them. And, you know, do, do you know, it's so I can't recommend it. I'm just telling you that the truth that it, it can, you could use it. I could, you know, uh, I've used, when I started out, my tools were so pathetically horrible and I just grinded it out and did it. And then each tool became a convenience and it was just nice. And, and I've never regretted, I have tools. Let me put it this way. I have tools just to be fair and honest about this. I have tools that I bought that I used once and I've never used again. And I've never regretted buying them. I mean, because, you know, even though it didn't pan out, it wasn't a tool I'd use all the time or didn't need again uh, uh, for guitar repair and stuff. I find that it just wasn't the worst. It wasn't the worst thing I could have done with my money. So just, just like I said, buy once, cry once kind of thing. And it will make life easier. The other thing to caution you is if you use cheap uh, soldering stations, uh, like you're talking about, one thing can happen. You can damage parts and then end up costing yourself more money anyways. So think about that. Like I said, I will never tell you guys not to use cheap stuff because I did it most of the time. I, when I was broke and starting out broke with all this stuff, I used all kinds of cheap stuff. That being said, I'd also like to point out that back in the day, you couldn't access like a quality, like I couldn't get access to Weller stuff. It was like you'd go into the, because they didn't even have it at like Circuit City or they didn't have soldering stations at Home Depot. You know, the Weller was at like these specialty stores and you'd go in there and it'd be retail plus 10%. Be <laughs> So, so it was, there wasn't options like there is now to get really quality stuff at a, at a more of a fair price. That Weller is a fantastic, fantastic soldering station for the price. I would, I would have killed 20 years ago to have $120 for something of that quality. I would have, I would have, I would just fallen over if that was the price then, much less now with inflation. So hope, hope, hope that gets you down the road. Okay. Um, oh, I'm still, what did I do with my screen? Okay. <laughs> Let me get out of it. Okay. Let's go through one more. This one was sent for, uh, by Amanda. David says, thanks for all you do. Love the show. Anything I need to be aware of if I change a telebridge into a humbucker pickup? I have a humbucker bridge plate with the correct string alignment um, already. The, uh, the only thing you want to be aware of is uh, sometimes, sometimes on the telebridge at the front fascia of it, there's two holes for two screws and sometimes there's not. And sometimes they're sh uh, shorter than other other bridges, so um, I would suggest, okay, because I've had this, I've done this to customers, and they've always kind of looked at me weird, but I think it always worked out in the best way. Um, so let's say you brought a, that guitar to me, okay? I'm gonna give you a scenario. You brought the guitar to me, and let's say the original Tele Bridge did not have the two holes for the two new those two screws. I take it off and I put the new bridge that has the humbucker sized hole, put the humbucker in and there's now those two holes. I would not drill those holes and put the screws in. 
I would let the customer get the guitar and play it and tell them, bring it back to me in a week or so and I'll drill the holes and put the screws in. Let's not permanently modify this guitar until we know you like the situation. So I'm just cautioning you. Um, I wouldn't do any heavy modifications if you can get away with it until you know you like having a humbucker in the bridge of a telly. Um, the reason I caution you and the same reason I caution them is, is that a lot of times players are going after a certain sound when they put a humbucker in a telly. And what you find out about tellies is kind of like what about strats. You can stick humbuckers in them. You can stick different pickups in them. But, and you will definitely change the tones and you'll definitely make things that are fuller and you can definitely make things that are brighter. But, some players are trying to ditch the telly sound or ditch the strat sound or keep those sounds and it doesn't go the way you think. So just be prepared that, you know, just don't go 100, basically don't go 100% all in. That's all I'm trying to say. That's all I'm trying to say. Okay. Hmm. All right. Let's do this one. This one's from Matt who says, Hey, Phil, I got a chance to buy a friend's 1980 Gibson Firebrand 335S. That's what it says. However, it has a headstock repair. Looks good though. Okay. And the truss rod is maxed out. Good condition. Besides that, is there something I should be steer clear of? Well, first, obviously, as we all know, a headstock repair devalues the guitar immensely. So just be aware of that, even vintage guitars. Now, there are some great things about broken headstock or vintage style Gibsons. We're going to call it a 1980s vintage style Gibson, um, is that it does devalue them. And so you get the you get the, the product you want, the guitar you want, but you don't have to pay the premium on the price, right? And if you're going to play the damn thing, who cares? If it's been, like you said, it's been repaired really well, a lot of times you can repair headstock and it's never going to break again. That is the case in a lot, a lot of cases. Um, however, like we always say, it depends on who does the headstock repair, how... Um, you know, well-known are they? It's not how good are they. <laughs> That's, I mean, it's important that they be very good, but to get value, you need somebody with a name. You need a, a famous luthier or somebody, or a builder. A lot of times, a lot of guitar builders do luthier work as luthier work on the side, and that times that helps you. You're like, hey, so-and-so from blah, blah, blah guitars did my, you know, headstock repair. And then people are like, oh, okay, they feel pretty confident because a lot of people get a little squeamish about a headstock repair, even if it looks great because they don't know, you know, it's kind of like you don't know what's under the hood. You don't know what's in there. And uh, so that's one. The second thing is, obviously, if you're saying the truss rod's maxed out, that's another concern because, again, once the truss rod's maxed out, especially on a Gibson where that way that nut works, you know, you, cr you crank that thing down. There's no, there's a, there's a plate underneath that, that, that nut, um, but there's nowhere for that thing to go. <laughs> so, so basically what I'm saying is you're, you're there, right? It's, that's the concern. You're, there's nowhere to go. So if the neck was to pitch forward, um, or get more relief, that's probably a better way to put it. If the neck was get more relief and the action starts going up, you have no way to tighten the neck. So that's your concern. So does that mean you shouldn't buy it? I, I can't tell you that. What I can tell you is, is that that's the information. Now factor that into your pricing and your logic and your decision. If you still feel pretty confident with it, then there you go. It's um, but those are your concerns. The good news is though, is that it is possible for a Gibson with a headstock repair and max out truss rod to play well for many, many, many years and never have a problem. But again, one of those things doesn't make me as nervous as both of those things. Does that make sense? Kind of like, duh. As soon as you said the second thing, I'm like, oh, okay, that's two things uh, that you definitely want to factor in. Uh, Craig says, hey, I've been reverbing for a Gibson. <laughs> I think that means he's looking on reverb. 
uh, Les Paul. I've seen Les Pauls with similar hardware range in weight from 8.3 pounds to 10.5 pounds. Why is that? Okay, so there's a couple reasons. First, let's talk about the most the most prevalent and most the easiest answer because it's the accurate most accurate. Uh, some of the Les Pauls are weight relieved, even the same models. Some years they weight relieve them, some years they didn't. Uh, it's just how it works, right? Currently, right now, um, the traditionals, I believe it's like the traditionals, the standards, and the classics current lineup, I think, because things change all the damn time, uh, is not weight relieved. Um, somebody told me the moderns are weight relieved. I didn't notice. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't take a look to notice. But, um, but my point is, is that yeah, if you were to look at like let's say a 2005, a 2005 Les Paul standard could be weight weight relieved. Where like I said, a 2000, uh, you know, 20 is not weight relieved standard. So that's one big thing because it's not. It's not miss. One's missing a bunch of wood and one's not. So that does variate that the most extreme because that's two pounds. Look to get the variance of two pounds it needs to be usually something like that. Now, a pound to a pound and a half can just be the density of a wood, and it's, believe it or not, it's the maple cap that's the bigger culprit. Now, it's all the wood, don't get me wrong. So, one piece of mahogany is gonna be slightly heavier than another piece. However, the maple caps, there's maple and uh, ash are very, very inconsistent in their weights. Um, more so ash over maple, but it's very inconsistent. Alder to me is very consistent. And mahogany for the most part is very consistent. I find mahogany to be, for the most part, very light. Now keep in mind, there's different species, right, of these woods and that's where I I dip out, right? Like I'm like, I, I, I learn the words like everybody else, but I'm not gonna go there and learn about every type of species of wood that's inconsidered, you know, a mahogany or whatever wood. But my point is, is that yes, that's actually just one guitar is denser than, it has denser wood than the other, so it's heavier. Um, a lot of times we say it has moisture in it. The moisture is trapped into it. It's true. That's why when they, they now when they do the, the um, uh, when they do roasted maple or roasted wood, what they're doing is not only getting all the moisture out of there, they're actually uh, calcifying all that sap. You know, they're drying out all the sap that's in the wood too, getting that really hard, crystallizing it. And they're extruding all the moisture out of the wood. So that is what happens. So one guitar could be really, really dry. One guitar could not be so dry. And one guitar could be weight relieved and one guitar could not be weight relieved. Um, and then there's different opinions about whether or not that has an effect on the sound. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, I think everything affects the sound. Like I've said before, I think every single thing in the world uh, affects the sound of a guitar. And then now we'll argue about the percentage. Does drilling some holes in a guitar change the sound? Sure, I don't I don't see why not, but I also don't see how much of it could be. So uh so I've even heard think of this, you guys talk about tone woods and, and fighting. You know, yeah, you should read about companies who do weight relief, but they do it like tuning it. That's a thing, by the way. Like there are companies that they, they put <laughs> tone holes in guitars they're tuned <laughs> I'm not there's like you could find the ad copy on this different brands have, have come up with these theories that it you know like oh yeah we put wave relief in it but you put the right spots it tunes the guitar perfectly i'm like okay whatever <laughs> whatever tone holes <laughs> uh, that's what that's if you want to fight you guys should fight all night about tone holes <laughs> okay uh edgar 
says, are there any premium body manufacturers like Warmoth that you'd recommend other than Warmoth looking for a more premium wood than most kits would offer? Um, there are a lot of, I mean, look, when it comes to guitar bodies, it's really not that fancy, right? I mean, if you're not getting into the exotic woods, uh, the wood tops, the 5As, you know, the 4A uh, flames and quilteds and all this stuff, you're just talking about like a standard Strat or Tele body made of alder or ash or something like that. I mean, it's really all the same stuff. It's just thrown on a CNC machine. Like, let me put it this way, and this and this will answer your question honestly, uh, but not only just honestly, but I mean, it'll give you kind of a real fair baseline to pay attention to. Um, I like Warmoth. So I trust them. I, I like the work I've seen from them. I trust them to do great work. And I think they do professional grade level work. In other words, the bodies and ne the necks that they that I see them make are of the same quality that I see coming from manufacturers like Kiesel or Sir or companies like that. Now, is the guitars fit and finish like those guitars, like Sir? No, because they don't even finish the guitars. <laughs> Okay, so obviously there's the, they're going to be they're damn close, but they're not there yet, right? But the quality's there. Here's where it gets important. If you're just talking about an Alder Strat body painted black, I don't almost think it matters where you get it as long as the measurements are correct, right? As long as you can trust the company to do the right neck pocket measurement and place the bridge in the right spot, because that's where it gets dodgy. After that, who cares? I don't, I don't really care. Um, you know, I don't care if like Mighty Might made this body or if Guitar Fetish made this body or if Warmoth made a body, if they're all using like polyurethane, polyester finished paint on the guitar and it's all just one piece of alder or ash and it's just a CNC machine that cut it out and then somebody, you know, uh, fast sanded it so they can shoot paint on it and then basically, you know, buff it out and set, ship it out. As long as the neck pocket is correct, and it's really, that's the only one that really matters to me, neck pocket and the bridge. As long as those are where they're supposed to be, uh, it's fine. You just, who cares? Um, there are, there are guitars worth a fortune that have less quality components in them than that stuff. Uh, so no, it doesn't matter in that regard. However, where I would change that opinion is, yeah, it would, if you want, you know, something more premium, like a flame top and stuff, I think I would trust Warmoth to give you the, the, a better level of quality, but for basic bodies and stuff, I don't think you have to go to anyone so yeah there you go you guys are really having fun with the tone holes <laughs> tone holes so there you go okay maybe they're gonna put this guitar has helium in the tone holes okay so uh Let's see. Uh, Warm5 sent an email, and I believe my wife captured it and sent it to me. Let's see what it says, because I knew he was having some trouble with this. So I'm going to read it off my phone, if you don't mind. It says, Hello, Phil. I've got a telly with a dual-action truss rod set up to my taste, but the truss rod's, the truss rod's almost maxed out. Okay. Uh, what should I do to make this less concerning? Well, I like the word almost max out. Okay, don't worry about that last 5%. They do, it does more than you think it does. <laughs> so um, 
I, you know, you're not the first person to ask me this. Here on the channel, you're the first person to ask this, but this is a question that I've answered a few times in the shop, you know, doing repairs with somebody where somebody came in and like, I get it, man. They're like, look, I turned it, I turned it. It's right, but look at this. And they're like, that's all I got left. And I'm like, well, you're fine. And they go, but what happens if? And I'm like, you're fine. <laughs> uh, so I think you're, you're gonna be fine. So if you're not finding any issues with the guitars, you know, guitars, I've had guitars that have had broken truss rods that played fine for years and years. I've had guitars that uh, truss rods were exactly like we talked about earlier, maxed out, and they were fine for years. Um, again, if we're talking about buying a new guitar, and I think that's what, maybe what you're saying. Did you just buy it? He said, no, nope. you just said you have one, but you didn't say you just bought one. But we're going to assume that maybe you just bought it or it's new. If it's new and it's concerning you, then maybe, like I said, your options are return it or get some kind of value exchange for the concern you have or voice the concern with them. The other thing to keep in mind is that a lot of manufacturers, if you bought that guitar new, they have warranty and that's where the warranty really kicks in. Uh, you know, defective stuff like that, you'll definitely be protected. And the general rule, now the warranties are getting wacky. I mean, these used to be lifetime warranties, but I actually kind of, a little bit, like that they're all getting away from the lifetime warranties. Because in my experience, that was never real anyways. <laughs> it was really always like one year that, you know, um, you know, you'd, I don't care who the brand was. And there's definitely brands who take better care of customers than others, in my experience, selling this stuff. But it, no matter what, I would never worry about what the customer had to argue. Because if I sold the guitar, I argued, right? I would get on the phone and argue. And let me tell you, if it was less than one year, I got my way. I don't think I've ever sold. No, I know I haven't. I've, ne I've never sold a guitar in my life where it had a defective neck in the first year and I didn't get it either replaced or or the either the guitar replaced or the neck replaced, something compensated to the customer, taken care of 100% because it's just it's just how it is. Somebody says two years on Gibson. Again, it doesn't matter. I, I think, like I said, they've all kind of shortened them. I think, you know, they so like I said, they used to do all lifetime. Now they do five years, two years, whatever. Same with amps, by the way. Amps to me are 90 days. <laughs> you know, year probably still with amps too, but for the most part, like if something goes wrong in 90 days, I think you're 100% protected. I don't think there's a lot of companies that can squirm out of it. Uh, and if somebody is, it just means somebody's not being bold enough to, to demand the right thing. You've got to demand, you know, you got to hold the line and get what you deserve and say, look, this is not right. Um, so same with the guitar. If you just got the guitar, I would say you're fine for a year. Maybe let it ride if that if it's a guitar you like, because again, that's what I'm assuming, right? I'm assuming you like it, everything's great, this is your concern. I'm telling you, that isn't the biggest concern, and especially if you have a warranty, I think you're fine. There you go. There's another option, by the way, uh, that I can tell you, and the other question about the new hummingbird from Music's Friend. Another option you can ask for, I don't think they'll go for it, but you can ask for it. Instead of money off, a lot of these may a lot of these retailers, especially the big guys. Uh, Sweetwater and Musician's Friend and stuff, they have extended warranties I like to sell you. Tell them you want to throw that in. Tell them you want the extended no questions asked warranty and that you'll keep it. That's fair, right? What do you got to lose? The guitar's working for you. You're a little concerned about it. They throw a, hey, no questions asked re return warranty for whatever, a year to two years. Like I said, what I've... My experience, again, is uh, with amps. If it's going to go wrong, it's going to go wrong in that first 30 days. Uh, I said 90 before, but it's like 30 to 90 days. So 90 days. Um, and if it's a guitar, it'll go wrong in the first year. I mean, they do sometimes go wrong after that, but I'm just giving you the numbers, right? I don't know if I could say nine out of 10, but just say enough. <laughs> like if you're going to bet, if a guitar bet, if a guitar is being played and it's fine for a year later, it's probably going to make it a long time. Whatever's, 
whatever's. Um, the only exception to that that I have to say, because we're not all the same people here, right? Some of us are more hobbyists than players and vice versa. When I say a year of playing, just like when I say 90 days, I mean of playing. <laughs> if you buy something and put it in a case for eight months and then pull it out and, you know, or better yet, and then play it a couple of times, and then two months later, play it a couple of times. And then a year and a half, you pull it out and it's a problem. Even though it's more than a year, you would have discovered if you would have played it more. <laughs> so play it. New guitars have to get played. Please play the, play your instruments, guys. Don't, don't, don't buy them from wall art. We'll buy them for both. Uh, Grumpy Mike Guitar says, for the tone jar, why not? I've really enjoyed all the pickup stuff this past week. Thank you for noticing. I started doing uh, YouTube and TikTok. I almost want to vomit when I say TikTok. Um, here's the deal. I like to, before anybody else vomits and says anything, I'm not doing TikTok. I'm doing TikTok so I look cool in front of kids. No, I'm doing TikTok because it's a platform and I thought about it and I said, you know, I'm going to start making short videos about pickups for TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube shorts. So all the platforms. So they're going on all the platforms, okay? So if you have one that you don't like, don't want, don't do there. But I started thinking about going, I didn't like short videos because I don't like, I want to be instruction-based content. That's where my goal is most of the time, right? Sometimes I'm, I'm a, I do, you know, if you watch all the, God, I feel like I'm stuttering today. You watch a lot of the guitar lesson channels, they end up doing gear reviews. And I really feel bad for them because I don't think that's what they want to do. But the gear reviews will pay you. And so they're like, okay, I'll do this paid content so I can do the non-paid content. My channel is a little mix of that too, right? I, I want to do as much gear gear uh, training, you know, information. I want to do as much information content, but the information content pays the absolute least unless you put it behind a big paywall, right? Um, and, you know, because companies really don't want you to, like, oh, let me get this straight. You, we send you a guitar and you tell everybody <laughs> right, how to fix it. And you're like, that's not a great video for us. So you got to find these ways to kind of balance that life. So um, I thought about this and I was like, ah, I, don't, I don't like the idea of doing shorts. And then it hit me. I don't know who I saw, some other channel that's not a guitar channel, some some channel. And I learned something. I mean, I legitimately like learned this little fun fact thing. And I go, well, that's kind of cool. I go, you know, maybe that would be fun. So I started doing these shorts about pickups because I have this massive collection of guitar pickups and I've amassed all this knowledge about them that I can just kind of parcel out. And um, what I'm doing, so you guys know, for those that you that hate shorts uh, and TikTok, <laughs> all that stuff, which is good for you because it's, it's horrible. Um, one, I get to expose myself to a new audience. Maybe I'll inspire somebody. Maybe I'll get somebody to come over to the main channel. Maybe that will happen. It will be good for everybody. The other thing is, um, if you haven't figured out, I did a video this week that I would have never done in a million years. I did, not only did I do the Evertune video this week, I did a video comparing the Illumitone P90 to a regular pickup. That would have never, never, ever, ever made that video, ever. Um, why? Because I didn't think anybody was going to watch it, which they, they didn't comparatively to my channel, um, that <laughs> the video doesn't make any damn money, right? Um, now, hold on. I know what you're thinking. It's about the money and the views. It's absolutely not. It's about people engaging with it. Here's what I can tell you. 26,000 people watched that Illumitone video and the engagement on it is off the charts. In other words, nobody really watched it, comparatively speaking, like I said. I know 26,000 is a lot of views, but you know I have a channel that averages, I can average, you know, 
a hundred thousand views on a video if if it if it's good. Um, but engagement, people who watched it loved it. It was off the charts engagement. That's what I told you I care about. I care that if I make something, somebody learned something, felt something. It it was I we we had a moment, right? It's that's what makes you feel good. That's what literally puts the the wind in your sails and the and the oxygen in your lungs. Not the $138 check versus the $47 check and payment for the YouTube. None of that stuff really matters. And the glorified views is just glorified crap. The the thing that matters though is that I like I said, it depresses you. It just does. I'm, I'm, I'm not even joking. It's real depression. It depresses you when you make a video and then YouTube goes, your viewers are not engaging with this content because they don't find it interesting. Because that's what YouTube sends you, by the way. All you guys that make YouTube videos, have seen these damn messages. And then all you're thinking is nobody liked my video and nobody cared. And then you feel bad that you made it because <laughs> you're thinking, I could have spent time with my wife. I didn't need to be making a video about pickups for a bunch of people that didn't care about it. But here's what's great. I knew I did the video. It did great. In my opinion, that video did great because it engaged heavy. I knew it was going to engage heavy because I did a short and that engaged heavy. Uh, I did a bunch of shorts. That wasn't even close to the most watched short that I did this week. But it, again, the number I'm looking at is how far through the video did the average person get. You know, that tells you a lot because obviously somebody goes into it for one second and gets out. So you're going to understand. So if somebody's going to watch it at the end and somebody gets out after one second, that obviously changes your average. So when you see eight out of 10 people make it pretty much to the end of the video, you're like, that means a lot of people liked it. So you liked it. So I made it. I'm happy I made it. I'm going to make some more. So I'm making the shorts. So what are the shorts? They're like little commercials for videos that possibly could be. And I've put them on enough platforms that if you guys care to see the shorts and you, you can put the comment, make a full video. I will make the full video. That's exactly what I did in that video. There's another video that's coming in the next week or two. Same thing. And it's also increased the amount of videos I make. As you guys notice, I'm, I'm adding a new video on Mondays now. There you go. So that's the that's the thing. And if you don't watch the shorts, then trust me, you're gonna see the the cream, right? And if the cream comes to the top, the best long form videos are gonna come from that information. And it was great. It was it, to me as a the the short form videos are to me amazing test market, and they're fun to make. There you go. And screw TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> I would be lying to you if I didn't say I gag a little every time I post on the TikTok platform. But I also am glad I did it. And then I, I'll stop talking about this. Um, I told my wife yesterday that TikTok is like so much smarter as a, as the platform. As someone who's done this for many years and made, made money doing it, the way that that thing's set up is a leaps and bound beyond Instagram and YouTube and stuff. It's so smart. It's smart how they brand it. It's smart how they, they, they make it to where, how I can create content faster and share it more instead of YouTube and Facebook who fight constantly each other for the two contents not to align and everything is a nightmare. It's just, you're like, damn, that's why I hate it. I hate it when the company I hate is smarter than the companies I like. There you go. There I'm done complaining. All right. Uh, Dewey says, Hey, Phil, I purchased an Epiphone Lazarus. Uh, Lazarus. It comes tomorrow. Your thoughts on this guitar? I don't even know what it is. Good and bad. Do you know how many were made? I don't know anything about it. <laughs> Paid $1,100. Is that too much? I don't know what it is. <laughs> so let's look at, look at it. What? You know, you think I, this is the stuff I know you guys are like, well, of course he knows. I'm like, look, man, my weeks get so crazy. If I don't even know if this is new or old. Let's take a look once I see it. 
Oh, it's a Joe Bonamassa guitar. I had no idea it was called that. I just knew it as the Joe Bonamassa signature guitar. Here it is, one on reverb. This one's used. At least it says it's used. Is it really used? Is it from a dealer? We don't know. Let's look. <laughs> was $12.99? I got a feeling. Thunder Road Guitars. I mean, these are stock photos. I think this is a brand new one. I think this is a new guitar being sold as used very good. What does the description say? May Oh, no, it says up for sale is a 2021. Oh, so it's an older one. So maybe it goes, we are an Epiphone dealer and this instrument came to us marked factory second. Oh, so it's a factory second. Okay, that explains why it's been downgraded in price. So there you go. Uh, what do I know? I know nothing about these things. This is the, when I did the Epiphone 59 Les Paul, that was my choices. I could do one on that or I could do on the Joe Bonamassa, just like the greenie, you know, and stuff, you know. Um, so I, I don't know much about it. I just know I like, I like the 59 Epiphone Les Paul a lot. So I would imagine I like this. I was actually told there are a lot of comments in that video saying that, because I, I said, I mentioned that I like the 59 Les Paul uh, Epiphone. A lot of people said that I would really like the, the Joe Bonamassa one. I've never even picked one up. I mean, physically played it, so I don't know anything about it. Um, so on that, I don't know if it was too much money or if it's, but I'm 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 excited for your new guitar, and I overall like the quality of those guitars. So uh, they they perform; they're one of the better performing guitars overall on the channel. I've had a couple uh, phones not do so well. I've had most of them do well, so I like them. Uh, Jeff says best way to make sure six screws on a PRS trim are level first. I need to lower just to touch both e saddles bottom the i've talked about this before i have a like a five things you don't know about the prs guitar and um i talk about that in there and there that's really important the six screws in the prs tremolo um are already a problem and they're more problematic in the se's you didn't say se but i'm just going to assume you you know talk about both um why they are the, uh, they are a problem is i wonder if i type in Ah, I did. Now it'll give me the right pro picture. Dude, it gives you... Oh, here's one. Can I make that bigger? I want to show everybody. Okay, here it is. Okay, so here are the tremolo uh, screws for a Paul Reed Smith guitar. And I'll describe them to you. You can see here they look like standard screws until you get to this really interesting notch right here underneath the head. That is where the blade of the bridge rests into that notch. Just like you would see a two-point tremolo that has notches, uh, Paul Reed Smith has it on all six of the screws. That's why he's, he's, so I just want you guys all up to speed. That's why he's asking me, how should he adjust these? Because obviously they all have to be the exact same height because the blade has to run across all of those uh, notched parts of the uh, screw. And as you can imagine, putting a big notch in that screw uh, which is a good idea for the stabi tuning stability. It's a little problematic when you're turning them with a screwdriver because you can snap the head off and it is a pain in the ass to get your tap out in there and get that screw out unless you have enough enough meat on that on that end of that screw so you can grab you know uh, with some uh, some pliers or something and then get it out of there, right? So um, my here's my suggestion to you. You definitely want to loosen the strings, okay, and then lower them. That's usually all you really need to do. You don't need to take the springs off the tremolo or anything like that. 
um, just loosen the string so that again the tension's not you, you you don't want so much force on on the screws from 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 the bridge being pulled by the strings and just lower them um, I like little I like to do it just like quarter 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 turn and those listening later I'm just kind of turning my hand like a quarter turn on a screwdriver adjustment I don't do anything fancy with them I'm just aware of the fact and to be honest with you I've never I don't say I don't know if I've ever seen a, a USA one break I have definitely seen the s2s and se's break um, and then they do they have that uh, crap that you hate when you the head breaks off and then you can see the crystallization and the metal from where it was like poured you know molded out and just Chinese junk metal right what is it? What do they call it? Chinesium, right? <laughs> is that right is what it's called. Um, and uh, so just, you know, slow and steady wins the race and cautious. Uh, and if it feels like it's going to, it's going to, it's not turning correctly, it's going to snap, then just be aware of that. But I don't think you have to actually take this, the, take the slack totally off the screw or off the string, off the bridge, and then, and then take the springs off. I've never have to do it, go that far. So it is a pain in the ass. So I'm not super excited about the design, but it's never been a super problem. It's because here's why those bridges stay in tune. And every time somebody tells me, I've had this argument so many times, it gets exhausting. Every time somebody tells me that PRSs don't stay in tune, I always go, I don't think your screws are set correctly. And they go, no, I did it. I'm like, I don't, every PRS I've ever had that didn't stay in tune, screws weren't set correctly. So there, there you go. Matt says, hey, how would you go about fixing a crack in a rosewood board? Um, I've, I've watched the Stu Mac video, which is great. Just wanted your approach reference. I haven't watched their video how to do it. It depends on the uh, type of, well, type of rosewood board. I don't mean type of wood, just sometimes, um, sometimes like the, uh, the fender ones are buffed. That's a little problematic. Um, for me, I just use, uh, I, I have blocks of rosewood blocks. I make little, little blocks. I sand it, get a bunch of, of the, um, the, uh, the dust. Is, is that right? Why am I having this trouble? You know, I, the sanded, the rosewood powder. I do that. I sprinkle in the crack and then I use a little glue. That's it. And then I sand it. That's how I do it. It's worked for me for many, many, many years. Um... In fact, since I was doing that earlier, so I can give you the exact glue. Okay, hold on a second as I'm being super quiet. I'm pretty sure I'm looking at, I'm looking to see exactly what glues I use. And I don't see it. Isn't that funny? Huh? Oh, here it is. Okay. Here's what I use. This is it. Cause I knew I bought it some on Amazon. This is the uh, star bond two ounce, super fast, thin CA glue. Uh, that's what I like. Uh, it's 
there's different versions. If somebody else has a different suggestion, that's fine. Like I said, I don't have any like allegiance to the brand or anything. It's just the one I bought last. Um, and that's it. So, so some, some CA glue and some rosewood powder. And then that's it. That's how I do it. Um, but I'm going to go watch the Stumac one to see if they do it any differently. Maybe they have a better, better way, but I've never had any problems doing it that way. The Panda says, any tips for keeping expensive acoustics outside of the case all the time while keeping them in good condition? Want to keep it out and play it more? Well, the problem is I don't know where you live, so everybody's going to have a different situation because of their because acoustics are temperamental to the environment, right? A lot of humidity, no humidity. I don't keep acoustics in cases. In fact, so you guys know, I only own one acoustic case, and I'm trying to get rid of it right now. <laughs> That's my Taylor case because uh, it came with a guitar, and I didn't want it. Um, once I get my guitar, I get rid of the case. I don't want it. I have a couple gig bags for acoustics, but most of my acoustics are out. Uh, I just keep them out all the time. And then if I'm, for some reason, need to put them away, I put them in a gig bag for a little while. So, uh, there you go. Um, I don't use anything. So that's where I, like, again, I, I have all kinds of humidifiers and sometimes if the guitar needs something and I'm noticing it, I'll put a humidifier on it. I've talked about those in some videos. But for the most part, I've been really thorough about the guitars I pick. Cheaper acoustics don't really need a whole lot of love because, like I said, they're laminate. There's a lot of glue going on. They're really strong. Very durable. More expensive acoustics, I've just taken more more time. I've, I've never bought an expensive acoustic online. I've always did them in person because I, I it's a personal thing. So, like, when somebody says to me I can never buy an electric guitar online, I'm like, I don't understand that. I could buy an electric guitar, no problem. But I, re I can relate to what the state, their idea because I don't know how I would buy a, a high-end acoustic um, online. So, but I'll probably eventually will. So, there you go. Um, let me go back to my held questions. Okay. Uh, a couple things that came in. Okay, so there's a couple things that came in through the website, so let me hit that. Somebody was talking about, did you see, um, funny enough, did you see the new Rolling Stones song? Actually, you know, my wife may, uh, had me watch that yesterday. She's like, did you see the Rolling Stones? Just uh, came out with a new song, right? So I think what she said was it's their first song in 30 years. Let's see. Let's see if it comes right up. New song. So, um, and I think there's a new album as well. Yep, so the new song is called Angry. And it's doing well, too. I was, uh, when she showed it to me, I had 7 million views in the first, like, 24 hours. That was exciting. I mean, like, Mick Jagger is, like, 80, right? Keith Richards is, like, 76. And they're just, the song's great. So it was really cool. For me, it was it's cool because, um, uh, I mean, because, I you know, it just, I can't even imagine that. I can't imagine kicking ass at, you know, 80 years old and you're still a rock star. They're still rock stars. It's amazing. And and it's great news. I love that. It's such a, right? Doesn't it feel good? It feels like good news to talk about. Like, oh, they're amazing. Their new album. Oh, first album in 19 years. Good on them. And it's a good song. I enjoyed it. It's like I said, I can't say it's the best song I ever heard, but it was a good song. It was really, really good. It, it, uh, it, you know, it felt like a real attempt to make a good song. I liked it. So that was good. That came in. Um, somebody asked me on the website if I saw the new Jacksons. I did. I was very excited about them. If you guys haven't seen uh, the new Jackson guitars, released a new line of USA made guitars. Um, the only thing I didn't like 
was the naming. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't like it. Um, let's pull it up. So let's, let's hit this one. Let's share with you guys. Uh, I didn't understand. So they came up with a, uh, a more affordable, more obtainable soloist about a year or so ago, two years ago, that was $2,500, $2,600, uh, neck through. And it was a soloist. This one came out. I'm like, Oh, they released the dinky. I'm like, Oh, cool. Let's call it dinky. But now it's called the virtuoso. So I was like, uh, I don't know why that bugs me. It just does. I, I, I don't know why. I, Cause to me, it's like, this is the dinky. It's a bolt on. It's a dinky. <laughs> right. Um, I guess they didn't want to say dinky. I don't understand. Like, cause maybe they don't want to, you know, cause now they do the import dinkies. Um, but this is really cool. $1,900 and it's a roasted, uh, five piece neck. So you got the two, uh, two stripes here that are regular maple. And then the rest is roasted maple it says here, California, go to locking keys comes in four colors. You know, the colors are a funny thing. Some of you guys are going to have some interesting reactions to the colors. If you look here, there's a, like a shell satin pink, and then there is a satin black. I'm not a big fan of satin, but it, I would be dumb if I didn't notice that it's one of the best selling, you know, uh, colors is satin colors, you know, um, these to me are actually like, I would imagine younger players are definitely going to go for the, you know, the shell pink satin and stuff. Then there's this, uh, they call it specific ocean. Obviously it's to me, it's like seasick green or sometimes, you know, seashell green, uh, seashell green, uh, seafoam green. And then they have this blue, which is very, very cool. Um, I love the pricing. Look, two grand's a lot of money, but also look, it comes with a really cool gig bag case. So it's like a hard foam gig bag, see square gig bag. That's kind of cool. That's a nice compromise, right? Not quite a case, but not quite a gig bag. Um, it comes with a locking system for the Allen wrenches on the back. Uh, Seymour Duncan pickups and they upgraded the bridge from the 1000 to the 1500, which was a, a nice move and spindle truss rod. I think that's ebony. looks like striped ebony fretboard. What does the specification say? It says alder body streaked ebony. Yeah. So streaked ebony, 25 and a half inch scale, 24 frets. I mean, it's what's not to like. I think it's uh, cool. The only things I, I didn't love the colors. I thought, you know, like I said, I obviously the, I think the shell flat satin pink was a good choice. It's not the one I would pick, but I think it's a good choice. I kind of wish, I kind of wish they would have done this. They would have done two for more newer players, you know, get that out there. Maybe that satin shell pink, the satin black, you know, something the newer players are. And then, and then two really over the top eighties colors for the old dudes to go, Hey, this is what I wanted when, right? That's really cool. So $2,000, really cool guitar. Um, and smart. Cause like what I was talking about earlier, right? New product, right? As the market's slowing, uh, in categories people care about, which is like out of the California shop. And this is even more obtainable, right? And I use the word obtainable, not cheap or affordable. Cause obviously $2,000 is an insane amount of money, but man, $2,000 for a USA made Jackson is, is, I mean, I don't know how much cheaper it could be. Isn't like an American standard strat $1,700 now. So it's, this is a couple hundred dollars more for essentially stuff that, I mean, it's, again, it's, a, it's an apples to oranges thing, but spec wise, there's a lot of good stuff on there. So very cool. I thought that was very cool. So I saw that. The other thing I saw, which was insane, um, is, uh, somebody asked me about it. And of course it just thought it was crazy because when they asked me about it, I actually been dealing with it. So 
They asked me if I saw the Beast Rich did a Gunslinger Nagel. Um, and I did. In fact, so I'm going to share it with you. This is the crazy money guitar. Here you go. So BC Rich has reissued the USA Gunslingers, BC Rich Gunslingers for those old 80 people, 80s people. So here you go. This is uh, $6,500. That's $7,000 of tax for a uh, painted uh, Nagel painted by Dan Lawrence, uh, who, who originally... Uh, painted the original ones back in the 80s. So he's painting the, these again. These are obviously go, uh, BC Riches as a ghost builder. So BC Rich doesn't actually have a factory, so it's built by somebody else, but still made by a quality shop in the USA. Um, couple things I got to tell you. So I've been actually highly paying attention to this. And just so you know, before anyone says anything, I want you to know that from what I can tell as someone who's been drooling over this damn thing since I seen it with the price tag. I just cannot, I couldn't get there. I was like, Oh, what if I sell that one and that one and that one and that one? I was like, I just couldn't do it. Um, that one I just so, uh, showed you that, that, that one I just showed you, they've sold two already. <laughs> it came in stock, it sold. And then another one came in stock and sold. So they've sold two in like a last week and a half. So uh, for those of you going, who's going to buy that for $7,000? Two people, <laughs> apparently. And that's what I could tell. I, I mean, I have no way to see any, but I mean, obviously it came in stock, went out of stock, came in stock, went out of stock. Um, so obviously two. So they've been selling them. That's uh, pretty crazy. A um, couple things that are disturbing to me is that there's no explanation of how many are being made. There's no certificate because I asked the sales rep because I was like, maybe I'll sell 20 guitars and get that thing. I just can't do it. Like I couldn't do it, but I could dream. I could be like, man, that would be the guitar, right? Um, for those of you that get it, get it. For those of you who think it's just dumb, you're right as well. But crazy. But when somebody sent me a message going, did you see these? I'm like, oh yeah, I've been watching them. <laughs> it's crazy. So crazy. So it may be cashing out the 401k. Dude, it's a lot of money. That's the kind of money that... Uh, you know, a guitar like that, what's, what's scary about that guitar is that's the kind of guitar you buy the guitar and the first time you chip it or ding it, it's just, it's, you've killed a thousand dollars of value minimum just because no one's going to want that guitar if it's not, not pristine. So it's crazy. It's crazy, crazy, crazy. But so there you go. And there, and now, you know, uh, and what's funny was somebody asked me a couple weeks ago about the universe, you know, like the guitar that got away, the guitar I always wanted was the universe that the Nagel would probably be one of the second ones, the BC Ridge, uh, Nagel. But sadly enough, I would never play it if I bought it. And that's again, I couldn't justify it. So I kind of feel like, uh, a lot of people when I, when I review an expensive guitar and they go, I hope they make an import affordable version. Uh, same thing with BC Ridge. If they made a paper, uh, a graphic paint, not painted, but an actual decal graphic Nagel, for 1500 bucks made in Indonesia or something, I would be all over that. And that's, that's cause then that's a, I'd put that in the wall and just stare at it, play it, pick it off the wall and play it for a few minutes. So I saw that as well. So those, those were kind of the three event things that got sent to me. And then I got another person asking me if I saw in a, uh, the thing about Fender, uh, saying that they had dealers cancel. Um, so let's, let's pull this up. So this was another thing that came up. And they wanted to know my two cents on it. 
and my two cents is free you sent you sent for me let's see um here it is so guitar world i guess uh put this out let's share this and it was uh Guitars were no longer the priority. Fender had $100 million worth of retail sales canceled in 2022. Uh, the guitar giant CFO, Matt, uh, says that the figure equates to about 600,000 guitars and 2,000 amps. So in other words, what they're saying in this article, uh, the, 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 the kind of rundown synopsis, is that the dealers canceled all these orders on them and to the tune of $100 million, which is 600,000 guitars and uh, 200,000 amplifiers. And that essentially that's why they're going to, they're discounting them. And that's why they got to get rid of them. Cause the kind of like, it, you know, it's, it's really not that long of an article and it's definitely more of a, I don't even know. I could, I don't even know if I could call it an article more so than it's like Fender's CFO gave them this information and they published it. What he basically said, I don't, I didn't see any like journalistic, like, well, you know, no, no back and forth, no question, no QA, no nothing. Just here's the statement. And, um, and this is how they got stuck. And this is a funny thing. So the, the answer to the question was that it's weird to me is a couple things. Um, you know, Fender's a very big company. And so I'm really shocked to find out or in this article allude that they're not, they're not buying product unless dealers order it. Okay. So what I mean by that is, okay, look, smaller company, Dealer orders some product, they the company either builds the product or has the product overseas built and then sent to the dealer. Companies fender size, at least when I was a dealer, it it was yeah, some of the USA stuff was like that. Hey Phil, how many of these do you want? How much of this do they want? And then you would order it and then they would build it. But for most stuff, when I would go to do my re-up, because you would re-up as a dealer every January at the NAM show. Okay. So like I said, I was a fender dealer for a decade. So I would go and re-up every year at the NAM show. Um, most of the stuff was in stock. They had it. And the sales rep job was to get me to buy it. It wasn't the other way around. I wasn't going to him. Now, again, I was a small dealer, so it, it totally could not work that way for Sweetwater and Guitar Center. And we'll address that in a second too. But I'm just telling you, so when they say dealers, because again, one of the things that sucks about the article is they don't specifically name any dealers. They didn't say like, you know, Bob's music in Utah screwed Fender. <laughs> it doesn't say that. It doesn't say Guitar Center backed out on us. It doesn't say Sweetwater decided to spend all their money on candy and not amps. Like they don't really allude to who cancels the order. So because they don't, I'm going to take some liberties to say, okay, so obviously the small dealer network, they can't really be the problem, even collectively, because they kind of anticipate what the small dealer market wants. Funny story, funny thing about this is I'm friends with so many dealers uh, and there's so many Fender dealers. And in 2021, every dealer, no exception that I talked to, we'll say at least 10, told me, and Fender's not the only one, so I'm not villainizing Fender, but they told me Fender, and so, you know, they said Gibson did it too. I mean, a lot of a lot of manufacturers did it. They basically, Fender came to these guys and said, this is what you're going to order for next year. You have to order, you have to put in your orders now for next year if you want this stuff. Now, again, this is hard to villainize because we were in a pandemic. There's a lot of things going on. So this isn't going to be discussion about like big evil corporation. This is going to be like some insight into my thoughts on the industry and how maybe they got into this problem. And then what's probably going to be the repercussions of this problem that they're currently in. Um, so the first the first thing that's important is that, like I said, 
Fender was out there basically saying, put in your orders. So a lot of dealers um, may have done exactly that. Like, okay, this is what we need for 2022. And then of course, as we saw, the market started changing real fast, which is what he addresses, okay? Um, <laughs> you guys are making me laugh, I'm sorry. And so here's where it gets important. So of course, I'm sure like the big box stores, maybe they cut back the orders too and that put Fender in a bad way. But I I remember very, very, maybe Fender needs to watch this podcast because I remember last year earlier, way earlier than that in 2021, talking about this problem of you have a boom market and then that's selling an insane amount of stuff. And I noticed companies like Fender and specifically, again, not only Fender, pushing on that. You know, you already have like, everybody needs a lot of stuff. And they were like, okay, and now you need twice as much as that. You're like, well, you're just making this a bigger problem because that's not what everybody needed, right? Everybody's like, hey, I sold 20 guitars, I need 20 guitars. Like, you need you need 20 guitars, you, you gotta order 40. And so, you know, Fender used to do that to me as a dealer. And again, I, I will tell you that I'm being very fair. Fender was still one of the best companies I ever worked with as a dealer, as a whole, okay? They weren't, they didn't, they had their flaws, but they were a great company to work with as a whole. But that being said, they did do this a lot. They would tell us like, oh, if you want 10 of these, you better order 30 or you're not gonna get them. And we would order 30 and then 30 would show up. It happened all the time, <laughs> right? And that's not Fender, that's a sales rep. The sales rep would be like, oh, you wanna get this, you better order a lot. So I, I kind of find it interesting that Fender's like, oh, everybody canceled the orders. But I'm like, but didn't you send out your sales force to get those orders? I mean, who's like the accountability? I'm not saying it's not Fender's and it's not the dealer's, but I'm, isn't there an equalized accountability where Fender should take responsibility for some of this mess? You know, um, I did work for a Fortune 500 company essentially doing reporting, <laughs> risk management analysis and stuff. And I can tell you right now, companies that size, uh, and the company I work for is much bigger than Fender, but even at Fender company size, they shouldn't be just shooting from the hip, right? There should be some statistical data, statistical data about the market and where they're at and what could possibly go wrong and how much should they be short or how much should they be overstocked. And again, that was a new market and it's not going to be like, I can't sit here and with hindsight and go, oh, man, everybody could have predicted all that. But I kind of feel like, yeah, somebody said in the comments, puff piece. I kind of got that vibe. That's where I think this is bugging me. If you can't feel it in my tones, it's it's not that I'm upset with Fender. I just kind of felt like, God, that felt like a, what? It's the dealer's fault? I'm like, okay, well then why isn't it the customer's fault for not going to the dealers and buying all the crap they were supposed to buy? Like, I understand. Um, and all, all that being said, I feel for Fender because this is a really big problem. It's a lot of, a lot of product. Now, the bigger part of this conversation, which is why we're going to discuss it, because we do talk everything from repair to, you know, guitars, the industry, and now, of course, the market. Um, you know, this there was a problem, if you guys don't know, during the recession that was compounding the recession's problem. You guys probably don't remember this, but some of you might, that Best Buy, Best Buy the, the appliance electronic stores, decided to get into the guitar business or the musical instrument business. And that happened, believe it or not, during the recession. They had been test marketing it for years and years and years. So it's like not like they just jumped in. They were testing it for years. The problem was, again, it's like, it's like prepping for diving in a pool that's slowly draining and they didn't see it was draining. So that's what happened. They jump in the market. They immediately, in where I where I live, where I had my store, um, three Best Buys became basically re music retailers. Doesn't sound like a lot, but it's like it's like there was five guitar centers in Phoenix area and then three new guitar centers because Best Buys is like guitar center at that size. They're just that kind of volume. That's a lot, <laughs> okay? Now here's what happened, and this is why this is the important part. 
So then the recession happens, and then for whatever reason, uh, for a lot of reasons that we won't go into today because it'll go too long, uh, Best Buy gets out of the MI business after about a year or two. I don't think it was that long. But it was years. I'm not exaggerating. It was years before Best Buy completely liquidated that inventory out. And it hurt. I felt it as a business. My friends who had businesses felt it. It was tough. Um, it was tough for customers to come in our store and be like, hey, how much is that Mexican Strat? And I'd be like, oh, it's $549. That's what it was back then, man. <laughs> and they go, oh, Best Buy's got one listed on their website for $449. Can you match that? And you're like, $449? It's like it's like 75% of my profit. <laughs> so it's just gone. And I'm like, and of course, you know, I got to match it. So, you know, or lose the customer. And so Best Buy had inventory forever bleeding out. So what's not being said in that interview, uh, article, interview, whatever that is, I don't like I said, I don't, I didn't see, I didn't get the sense it was an interview, is um, how long is this bleed out going to take with Fender? That's a lot of inventory. I have no scope or scale, so I don't know how long it takes to sell 600,000 guitars for Fender, um, which obviously, based on what I'm anticipating uh, to be the answer, that is all going to be mostly the lowest price Chinese you know, some Indonesian, but the lowest price product lines uh, are SKUs is what they got. Because obviously that inventory must have came when it was like on the boats that were floating in, out in front, outside of Long Beach for, you know, months and months and months and then waiting to get offloaded. I'm sure that's where a lot of the inventory came at the last minute. So um, this is a lot of, it's an insane amount of inventory. And so because this channel is more about uh, the industry and guitar players and the community than it is about tabloid crap. Let me tell you some important information. If you're a Fender dealer, this is a time where it's going to get a little problematic if you, especially if you deal in the cheap stuff, because I, what I, I kind of anticipate could happen is going to be two things. Not only will Fender continue to discount it like they have been doing, like we've been talking about, um, direct sales, you know, discounting 30% off, 20% off and trying to offload that stuff, which you, if you buy that stuff or have this stuff, you have to compete with that, which is nightmarish. But at some point, the big retailers that actually canceled those orders, that's the irony of this crap too. The big retailers that canceled those orders, they're going to buy that stuff at a big, huge discount because they'll buy volumes of it. Cause that's what Fender's going to want to do is get volumes of it off the books and then they'll blow it out. And you know, I've, I've, again, I've, I've been dealer and I've been through that where that email comes in and it says, good news. I'm not making this crap up. I wish I could. I can't. You get an email and it goes, good news. All the guitars on your wall, you can discount them now. 20, 30% off. We're, we're removing map. We removed it. Go start selling. And you're like, all my stuff is now worth what I paid for it. That's what? <laughs> <laughs> that's good news. That's horrifying, right? Um, but it's a situation that was real and you had to deal with it. And obviously we survived it. People survived it. But I would say in this market, I would caution, especially a lot of the smaller dealers, um, maybe be, be very aware that you're gonna have to deal with that. And then here's the other problem. This is the catch 22. And again, this is just information. The catch 22 is if you don't, if you don't want to carry that product and you carry alternative product, that maybe has a better margin and a better situation, you're going to be combat. You're going to be fighting that product being sold out there, because 
that's another problem you're gonna have to deal with, which is somebody comes in and goes, hey, do you have the new Frontman 10 amp for $79.99? Because it's being you know clearance everywhere. And you're like, no, I have the Bob's Bob's Cool Amp Plus that you've never heard of brand, and I have it for $99. And they're gonna be like, yeah, I just buy the vendor amp online. So you'll lose sales. So it's really a cautious, a cautionary time. Um, the good news is, is that nothing I got from that article or anything I've got from my friends in the industry or people I work with in this industry, um, saying that that's in the, the high end guitars and the high end amps are in that, in that bulk of that inventory. It doesn't seem to be that's where their problem is because again, they did overbuild a lot of the expensive stuff, but not to the degree that this stuff is. And of course, it's really, we already know where the market was really affected. It was the newcomers to the industry who are leaving the industry the first, right? <laughs> the people who weren't really there to begin with are kind of gone. You know, the person who was like, yeah, I, I either play uh, pickleball or I play guitar. I don't know. Now I'm going to play pickleball. You know, they were always kind of iffy. So that's going to be tough. But <laughs> so he says, poor Bob. Poor Bob, poor Bob. So interesting, interesting article, interesting uh, stance. Uh, like I said, it seemed a little odd and misplaced. I'm not really, as you guys know, just like in all of you, I'm never really um, very pro any big companies pointing fingers at smaller people. I don't, I don't know if that's ever been a smart decision. Also, I don't know if it's ever been that true. <laughs> I, I tend to lean towards if I'm going to say there's a culprit here, it's going to be the big corporation who was dramatically upcharging the prices like hell. I mean, Fender again. And again, this is a because Fender did the article, they get the bash. But like I said, I'm trying not to bash on them because there's so many companies that I could actually put in that same lump with them that did that stuff that it, to me over inflated their pricing. They didn't just take the inflation prices. They kind of stepped them up on their own a few times and then really pushed everybody to buy. Superjet 113 says save money for Black Friday sales. Oh, absolutely. Is it oh, dude, if you guys want squire if you got squire and stuff, it's gonna be it's gonna be a good time to buy it. So it's gonna be a good time. That's a lot of inventory. Like I said, I don't have a gauge of that. I wouldn't I wish I wish I could figure that out. It seems like an insane amount of guitars. Um to give you a reference of how much how much it is, I have no idea. Somebody could probably Google it. I have no idea what Fender's worth now, but when I was a dealer for them, my last year of being a dealer was 2017. Um, when I was a dealer for them, technically 2018, so but 2017. When I was a dealer, I think they were they were I thought they were doing 400 million in gross sales a year. I think that's right, or pretty darn close. So again, I'm again I don't know for sure. But if that is right, that's scary because I don't think they're doing that number now. I think their number is much higher. Now, obviously, they probably doubled that or tripled it, um, whatever that number is. But man, $100 million is an insane amount of inventory. So there you go. Um, and like I said, it was worth talking about. Richard says, I'm buying a house next year. I think I'm done for a while. Richard, based on what I'm seeing, you might want to build a house out of uh, Fender amplifiers, because I think it'd be the cheaper to build the house out of that. <laughs> for studs, we're using Squire necks. <laughs> All right, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. Okay, let's uh let's scoop up any last questions, and then we'll call this for the weekend, so we all can go start playing guitar and actually uh, spending time with 
people we care about or guitars we love. Um, Aussie English said, good day, Phil. I, I think that's the only way you could start a sentence with the name Aussie English. Uh, good day, Phil. Bought a parts caster teleelectronics completely short, crusty switch, jack crunches, and sound muted suggestions for replacement harness. Sure. You know, uh, a little little fun thing for you is um, there's... Um, well, the problem is you're in Australia and everything. I have no reference. I was going to tell you all these great answers, but I don't know. Cause half the stuff I feel like I tell you now, you're going to be like, yeah, that's like $7 million here. <laughs> um, the, I, I like switchcraft switches. So I would just go with that for a new switch for your telecaster. Um, I mean, you say the electronics are completely shot you know, potentiometers you might be able to clean out. They kind of are more resilient than certain things. The switch though, you can try and clean the switch, but a lot of times it's good to replace a switch. I would go with uh, a Switchcraft switch if you can get them or an equivalent. I like that brand. I like the quality and it should be relatively easy to get. I always, like I said, I, I always don't know with Australia because like I said, everything I hear is like, Sometimes when you guys tell us prices that you're paying for things, I don't even know how that's physically possible. Like I don't, my, my brain can't wrap around it. I'll be like, yeah, it's $800. And they're like, here it's $2,500. I'm like, that doesn't even make sense to me what you're saying. <laughs> so Beavis says, uh, Deoxit D5. Yep, absolutely. So, all right. Okay, and then, hold on. Okay, and then we are uh, gonna do these last. See, that's what's great about the moderators. They've hold on. I don't know what that means. <laughs> okay, let's do this one. Matt, as a moderator, send me this question. It's from C. Bradley. It says, "Hey, I'm looking to swap my licensed Floyd Rose in a nickel finish or black." Are they all the same basic types? Where to go? Thanks in advance. They're not all the same. Um, uh, licensed Floyd Rose, you need to find out which what your spacing is going to be. Um, the Floyds have different spacing, so uh, you can get one and then it not line up with the post, and that's a big deal because then you'd have to pull the post, dowel and plug those posts, and then re-drill them. So you definitely want to figure that out. It's not super hard to figure out. You just want to get yourself some measurements. If you don't have a caliper, you can use a regular ruler and then go on uh, floydrose.com, uh, right? It's got to be floydrose.com. Look, that's just type of Floyd Rose. There it is. And you can get that right here, floydrose.com. There's upgrades, all kinds of information, and you can get that that correct information. But you do need to make sure you get the, the correct um, Floyd with the correct spacing. Uh, and then we're going to do the last question Amanda sent from Electric Urinal. <laughs> Electric Urinal. It says, I put a 2021 Fender American Pro Tele neck on a 1999 American Standard body. Center lines of the body and neck are not quite the same by tiny fraction. What is the best way to properly align the neck? So what's great for you, this question is, this is going to be an easy question. Um, I have a video on how to do that. I will link it when the, you know, when I do the indexing after I'm done, I have a, a video that's just going to help you do it. It's when it comes to fenders, aligning the neck is about as 
rudimentary and silly as it, it actually is one of those things you just think that can't be true, but it's absolutely how you do it. You just kind of grab it and then you kind of shift it and it works. It's, it just does its magic. Um, and I have a video showing you how to do it. And it's, uh, it was even shared on all, like all the guitar magazines and stuff. So I'll make sure to, to put it right now. So I hope it covered a lot of stuff. I hope we had a lot of fun. I want to thank you all for joining me today and for what, just for you guys being you as always. That's, that's just, it made the whole entire thing really fun and exciting. On that note, I'm going to let you guys go. And until next week, thank you so much for your time. Until the next time, know your gear. <laughs>